Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Amen. Mark chapter 8, James chapter 4. Let's go to the Lord to prepare our hearts. Father, we are grateful for your word and your people. We have such incredible people here at Calvary South Bay because they love you and Christ is in them. And you, they just allow you to flow through them. And I'm so thankful for your great grace And I pray now that as we study your word, that you would minister to us in such a powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen. If you remember, the disciples have been majorly challenged by the Lord. Now, I know none of us like when Jesus challenges us. When we go through a hard life experience or when the word of God kind of hits us like a 50-pound Ryrie. Now, if you remember the Ryrie study Bibles, uh, they were at least 50 pounds, right, with all Pastor Ryrie's notes in them. If you don't have one, make sure you order one on Amazon. And the disciples have been challenged by the Lord. Let's pick it up there as a matter of review. In Mark chapter 8, verse 17, Jesus, being aware of it, said to him, Why do you reason because you've got no bread? Do you not perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Look down at verse 21 if you would. How is it you do not understand? This had to get their attention like a deer caught in headlights. It had to sting a little bit. Having eyes, do you not see? See, the disciples were still struggling. They had this bigotry against the Gentiles. They didn't grasp the incredible great grace of God. But Jesus, I don't know if you've noticed this in your own life, he has a way to use life to teach us lessons of faith. Can the church say, amen? Amen. Let me give you one. I was pastoring a small church in Montana, we were living there, and I was just, uh, I planted a church there out into the country. And these hucklebillies, we used to call them, hucklebillies, they called them, them, them that themselves. It wasn't a negative term. And these hucklebillies would come out of the mountains, totally off the grid, and they would come into our church. I was ministering to a, uh, a, a, um, a people group, an unreached people group. And we had this uh, church out in the middle of Hicksville, okay? When I went to go pick up my mail, the mail lady literally asked me, hey, where did you guys go on vacation? She opened my mail and looked at my pictures, okay? This is where we lived. I want to let you know. So, and I want to let you know, in my... In Montana, there are no speed limits at the time that we were there. So it didn't matter how fast you were going. Well, I'll never forget, I'm driving on Highway 93 on my way back home to Olney, Montana. And there's a car, and they're going about 55. Well, there's no speed limit. I mean, what, you, what do you do? You go around someone when you'd like to go 85 or 90 on a highway. So I go 
to go around this person. But I didn't look in my rear view mirror. There was another car, a truck, that was going around me. Now, I, excuse me, I did look in my rearview mirror, but that truck was in my blind spot. Has this ever happened to you? Where you're about to change a lane and there's a car in your blind spot. Well, <laughs> I go to go around the car that's in front of me and all of a sudden I hear, Honk! and what do you do? I swerved back into the lane as this truck was going about 110, coming around me. As they were passing me, and after they honked, they gave me a friendly wave. (laughs) Unfortunately, only one of their fingers was showing. (laughs) When I looked, (laughs) it was a lady that went to my church. (laughs) She was waving at me with a finger. I couldn't wait for Sunday morning. I thought for sure she would not come, but she did. And I walked up to her and just gave her a big hug. And she went, Pastor! (laughs) Oh, how God will use life circumstances to teach us lessons. Truth is, we all have blind spots, don't we? We all have blind spots where Jesus has to honk to get our attention. Now, fortunately for us, Jesus waves at us with all of his fingers. (laughs) Mark chapter 8, let's take a look at verse 22, thinking about blind spots. Then he came to Bethsaida... And they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. Well, stop there if you would, Bethsaida. Mark has been trying to get across a point to us about the great grace of God for about four chapters. Mark is concluding this point now as we come to the conclusion of Mark chapter 8. So what Jesus does is ingenious. Jesus takes the disciples back to Bethsaida where the lesson began in the feeding of the 5,000. In Luke chapter 9, verse 10, the Bible says, if you'll take a look at the screen, the apostles, when they had returned, told them all, excuse me, Luke 9, 10, when they returned, told them all that they had done, then he took them and went aside privately into a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. This is where he fed the 5,000. He takes them back to where the lesson began. You remember, they were tired. They just came back from a mission trip. And now they have to hold a banquet for 5,000 people. And what Jesus is doing, he's using life He's using an experience to help them understand. This is what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. The Holy Spirit will use our life circumstances to solidify our sanctification. Can you imagine if we were all just book smart, but not life smart? If we all just knew the book of the Bible, but we didn't know how to apply it to our lives, the Holy Spirit will be faithful 
to use our life circumstances to solidify our sanctification. Now, no one should be surprised that Mark concludes the lesson with this incredible story. There was a blind man. Jesus had challenged the disciples in the fact of his grace, but they could not see it spiritually. They had blind spots. He challenged the Pharisees because they were blinded by their uh, traditions. They had blind spots on the boat over to this area. Jesus warned the disciples of the leaven of the of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, and the leaven of the Herodians, which was materialism, and they couldn't get it. They had blind spots. They couldn't see what Jesus was saying. And ingeniously, he takes them to Bethsaida, where the lesson began, and surprise, surprise, life circumstance, there's a blind man to teach them about their blind spots. You can't help but see what Mark is doing. Remember what Jesus said, having eyes, do you not see? They blind spots. And let me tell you something. Everyone has blind spots. Look at your neighbor and tell him, I have a blind spot. Okay, you're not looking, Kevin. Kevin, look at your neighbor and say, I have a blind spot. All right, now let me tell you what Jesus does when you got blind spot. Honk! It's what Jesus does. Now, those of you who were not awake, now you are. You see, a blind spot is something that's obstructing our view. It could be your pride, like the Pharisees. It could be your appetite for the world, like the Herodians. But a blind spot is something that obstructs your view, and you're about to have a spiritual wreck. And what God will do is he will bring in a life circumstance to honk to put you back in the right lane. Let me explain what happens. You want to change a lane spiritually. There's someone, something that's an obstacle of faith in front of you. And you want to change a lane, but you've got a blind spot. You're about to cause a spiritual wreck, but what Jesus will do is honk to get you back in the right lane. Let me tell you how he does it. He uses life circumstances to wake us up. Because let me tell you what a blind spot is. It makes you blind. Like, a blind spot is a blind spot because you don't know you have it. And so he has to honk to wake us up. Now, you may be ignoring something that you know. Like maybe you're not looking in your rearview mirror. Maybe you've got your side view mirror and you know you've got your rear view. You know you've got your side view, but you've got a goal just to get into the other lane. And what the Lord will do if you're even ignoring the truth of what you have, like the word of God, he will use life circumstances to honk to get your attention. I know this personally. As a missionary, I went back to Liberia because I felt in and of myself that that was the only place that I could minister. It was the only place that I could use my gifts. And one faithful person came up to me and said to me before I returned to Liberia, are you sure that God is not answering you according to your idols? Because I think you've made Liberia an idol 
Now, I don't know how you could ever make Afri- uh, a Liberia, Africa your idol, okay? Liberia is, God bless you. <laughs> Liberia is just difficult. No running water at the time, no electricity at the time. It was full-fledged war. Liberia is just so different now than what it was then. But somehow, some way, I wanted and believed that was the only place that I could minister. And one faithful person said to me, a honk, are you sure that God is not answering you according to your idols? Are you sure that you've not made this your idol? Is it a blind spot in your life? We went to Liberia. Within three months, I almost lost my daughter. I almost lost my wife, and I almost lost my other daughter. And the Lord was like, honk, 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 till finally I'm flying home because my daughter is an intensive care unit in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And my wife has told me I'm not sure if she's going to make it. And I'm in the bathroom of Air Afrique. Okay, now let me tell you, they didn't call it Afrique for nothing, okay? It was a freakish airline. Goats, cows, and pigs were allowed on this airline. And the bathroom was not a beautiful experience, trust me. The airline doesn't even exist anymore. And I am in the bathroom, and I look in the mirror, and the only thing that I hear is, are you sure God has not answered you according to your idols? Honk! And I begged the Lord for the life of my daughter. And by the grace of God, when I arrived, God had touched and God had healed her. She was out of ICU. And when I landed in Fort Lauderdale, she and my wife met me at the airport by the grace of God. What is God going to have to do to honk to get your attention? You see... We have to walk into this story and not look at this as a blind man. We've got to walk into the story and realize we may have some blind spots. And we need to learn the disciples that the, we need to learn the lesson the disciples have learned. Now take a look if you would, go back with me, came to Bethsaida and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. He's got great friends. Great friends bring their friends to Jesus. And his friends wanted Jesus to touch him so much so they begged him. Now, let me tell you, when you're begging Jesus, that's called passionate prayer. And great friends beg Jesus for their friends. Great friends beg Jesus for their friends. You see, these friends were believers They'd already been touched by Jesus. They have the imprint of God on their lives. They believe in him and something happens when Jesus touches you and they knew it. That's why when people come forward here, we applaud because we know when we're touched by Jesus, how he radically changed our life. Do you remember Matthew chapter eight when he touched the leper? When he touched the leper and the leper was cleansed, let me explain. Leprosy is a type of sin. And I want you to understand something. When Jesus touches us, we're cleansed from our life of sin. It's just evident about us. We're not purposing to run to sin anymore. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 8, verse 15, when Jesus touches Peter's mother-in-law, 
And she got up totally healed and she served the Lord because something is evident when the fingerprint of God is on you. When Jesus touches us, we are raised up to serve. And I always look, and I was calling Kevin out because I whispered into Kevin's ear today, I love the way that man serves. It's evident that Jesus has touched him. Because when Peter's mother-in-law got up, the Bible says she served the Lord. Do you remember when Jesus touched the two blind men on the road to Jericho? And they went and told everyone what Jesus has done for them. Because when Jesus touches us, we can't help but tell the world. That's an evidence of the fingerprint of Jesus Even in John chapter 9, when he touched another man who was blind, that man went and stood in front of the Sanhedrin courageously and said to the religious leaders, listen, I don't know what you're talking about, but all I know is once I was blind, but now I see. Let me tell you something. When Jesus touches you, when Jesus touches you, there is a courage that you walk in. We walk in courage. We're not afraid to be canceled. We're not afraid of the woke culture. We are touched by the almighty God, and he gives us the strength to live in courage. Do you remember, as I continue to try to prove the evidence of the touch, that when the disciples were afraid at the transfiguration, the Bible says that Jesus touched them in Matthew chapter 17, and they were no longer afraid, because when Jesus touches us, we live by faith, not by fear. When Jesus touches the children, do you remember the disciples? They didn't want the children to come to him. And Jesus said, let the little children come. And he picked them up and he put them on a lap. And they're like, I love Jesus. He's so much fun. And let me tell you something. When a child runs to an adult male, that says something about the character of that adult male. And those kids knew they were safe and secure and they ran and they touched Jesus. And when they touched him, they were blessed. And there's an evidence when you've been touched by Jesus. When you've been touched by Jesus, you're blessed. And you get to live the abundant life of joy just like those children. And when you've been touched by Jesus, do you remember? Peter, who's a fisherman, took up a sword and they came for him in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so Peter, he went to go cut off the head of Malchus, and he accidentally just nicked his ear. And his ear goes flopping on the ground. Now, just imagine this flopping ear on the ground. And Jesus picks up the ear, and he touches his Malchus. And when he touches Malchus, his ear is put on. It is the best plastic surgery you've ever seen in your whole life. Because when Jesus touches us, He redeems our failures, and there's no more condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. No wonder these friends were begging Jesus to touch their friend. They knew what Jesus can do. Now take a look at Jesus' response, verse 23. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he, had, if he saw anything. Holy spit. Now, did you hear me? It's on the screen. 
did we just read that the Lord spit on? Did you? How about we take that verse out? <laughs> I mean, did Jesus just spit on this man? Yes. And I know you want me to say, well, the Greek word actually means, it, it means spit on him. Like, I would love to make this better, but it is what it is. Holy spit. Jesus spit on this guy. And I know you want to make this all holy for just a minute, but let me explain something. Spitting on someone was as humiliating for them of that day as it is of this day. Let me explain. Matthew chapter 27. Look what they did to Jesus when he was going to be crucified. Matthew chapter 27. Take a look. Verse 30. Matthew chapter 27. Then they spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. Have you ever been spit on? I have. I was in Boston. I never went back. <laughs> Let me tell you, I'm a, no, you got to hear the story. I am going into a parking lot. I am pulling into a parking space. I've done nothing wrong. I'm going in a parking spot. I'm pulling into a parking space, okay? Now, I know, in, I know out east, they think us Californians are nuts, but I'm going to tell you, <laughs> I'm glad I live here. And I pulled in the parking space. This guy is walking to his car. I see him. I'm way in front of him. All I did was pull in the parking space. He has to hesitate for a moment. He then walks around to my car, which my window is down, and spits in my face because I turn around like I'm freaked out. This guy's looking at me, and he spits on me. I lost all form of Christian faith. I would love to say that a halo formed around me and I was a Christian and I did everything. Praise God there was another pastor in the car and we were at a pastor's conference. He, I go, I mean, I, 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 this just happened. I, I'm going down the car. The pastor grabbed my hands and he goes, you're a pastor. We're at a pastor's conference. Be like Jesus. Wipe it off your face. I'm not turning the other cheek. <laughs> and I don't know if you know about the three-strike rule. Jesus said, if someone slaps you on one side of the cheek, turn the other cheek. I then entice them to slap me again because there's no rule for the third time. <laughs> I'm kidding. That will be the only thing that some of you remember. I said, I'm kidding. This moment did not evoke the best Christianity out of me. I couldn't believe this guy spit on me. And I was unlike the Apostle Paul who looked at the opportunity to suffer like Jesus who was spat on, and so was Paul, and used this as a time to say in my life, I got to suffer like Jesus. No, that's not what was happening. I wasn't considering this an opportunity to be Christ-like. And I wonder if this man who got spat on by Jesus did. Now, here's the thing. We don't know why he spat on him. And I read all kinds of commentaries that came up with all kinds of things, but the truth of the matter is, the spirit the, it was, is silent on why he spat on this guy. So we can only assume that holy spit was God's will for this guy. Because Jesus did it. 
God's will? That he spat on him? How many of you have felt like this? You came to Christ, you lost your friends, lost your family, lost your job, can't pay your rent. Like, you came to Christ and you thought everything is going to get better. Like, everything will be great. Like, Jesus, he goes in front of you and everything is good. But then life happens. And instead of feeling like the Shekinah glory of God all the time as a Christian, you know, I meet some people all the time. Hey, how you doing? Praise God, glory, Jesus, hallelujah. No, really, how are you doing? But some days it doesn't feel that way. It doesn't feel like, praise God, glory, Jesus, hallelujah, because you just found out something that has wrecked your personal inside. This guy got spat on. And sometimes you don't understand what Jesus is doing. Sometimes you even feel like he's humiliating you. Sometimes you're a little embarrassed. You're honking too loud, Jesus. Other people can hear that I got out of the lane. Sometimes we don't like what Jesus is doing. He spat on this guy. But Jesus, for some reason that we have no idea why, knew the reason. And though this man didn't understand, and though sometimes we may not understand, Jesus knew exactly the life lesson that this man needed to grow. And Jesus spat on him. But I want you to see what else Jesus did. You might miss it. So I want you to see what else Jesus did. Take a look, if you would, back with me at verse 22. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town when he spit on his eyes, and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. This spit is bookend with a touch of the Savior. You see, our kind and gentle Savior took this man by the hand. He met this man where he was at. Do you remember what he said to the disciples? Follow me. To the people that could see, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. But to this man who was blind, who could not see, he took him by the hand. He met him where he was at. And I need to let you know where he met him. He met him in Bethsaida. Now let me give you a little history about Bethsaida. Jesus cursed it. Take a look, Matthew 11. Matthew chapter 11, verse 21, Matthew 11. Woe to you, Chorazin. Now, whenever Jesus doesn't honk but says, whoa, 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 woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Whoa. And Jesus rebuked them because of all the mighty works he did in them, and they did not repent. Let me tell you why. Bethsaida at the time was a fishing village. It's where the fishermen, uh, Peter, Andrew, James, that's where they're from, okay? Fishing village. They had everything they needed because they supplied the meat for the whole area. Everyone needed Peter's fish. So they, they had everything they needed. They didn't struggle for rent. They didn't struggle for property. 
They didn't struggle for soap. They didn't struggle for life. They didn't struggle for anything. No, they had everything they needed. They were materialistic. And so Jesus comes in. I don't need you. I got everything I need. Why would I need Jesus? Got my great house, got my great car, got my great portfolio, got my great life. Like, why do I need Jesus? And so Jesus goes there telling the disciples, beware of the leaven of the Herodians. Beware of materialism. But it was there that this blind man met Jesus. Jesus goes to the place that he cursed because there was one man there who needed him. And let me tell you something. For Jesus, it don't matter where you're at. It don't matter how dark you are. It doesn't matter the darkness that you live in, the hypocrisy that you've chosen. It doesn't matter the waywardness of the world. When Jesus knows there's a need, a spiritual need for him, he will go to the darkest of places, the most cursed of places, in order to rescue some. One. It's what Jesus does. And Jesus grabbed that man by the hand and Jesus took him out of that city because Jesus was not going to do any more works in Bethsaida. And then Jesus, for a second time, after he spit on him, puts his hand on him. And we know what happens when you're touched by Jesus. Everything changes. First he spit on him, then he touched him because there's a truth about our faith. Would you go with me to James chapter 4? James chapter 4. There's a truth about our faith that we need to understand. James chapter 4. Look at verse 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud. And maybe this blind man was proud. We don't know. But God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. James doesn't mince words. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Look at verse 10, maybe you'll underline it. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and what does he do? He will lift you up. Don't get stuck in the Holy Spit. See what God has done and how he then touches him and this man is going to be healed. He humbled him and then he raised him up. And the Lord asked him, do you see anything? This is the first time that Jesus doesn't completely heal someone. We don't know why. And we may not even understand. But that's the point. Because sometimes in life, Jesus is doing something with our life that we don't understand. That we don't comprehend the process. But can I encourage you to do something? Be like this man. Trust the person. You may not understand the process, but trust the person of Jesus Christ. You may feel that all of heaven is spitting on you. Trust the person. Mark chapter 8, look at verse 24. And he looked up and he said, I see men like trees walking. Verse 25. Then he put his hands on his eyes again 
and made him look up. Stop there if you would. This guy amazes me. Do you remember my response when the guy spit on me? Action. Sorry, I think I almost spit on you. I didn't mean to do that. It's not part of my illustration. Something fleshly happened in me. This guy amazes me. He doesn't know Jesus. His friends are dragging him to him. The guy spits on him, who he doesn't know, and he doesn't go anywhere. He doesn't flesh up. He just stays there. He's been spit on, and now he's not healed. Now he's not completely healed. So now he's discouraged, and we know he's discouraged because he had to look up when Jesus asked him the question. He's got his head down like this. And Jesus says, he looked at him and said, what do you see? And he goes, I see men walking like trees. Now, how depressing. The first thing you see are the 12 miserable disciples, right? I mean, and you can't even see them clearly. He says, I see men walking like trees. And then in verse 25, Jesus made him look up. This guy's discouraged. He's despondent. And maybe he's at where some of us are at in our faith today. You see, when Jesus asked the question, the guy looked up like, I'm going to be able to see. He healed other people. He'll heal me. (gasps) I can't see. I can't see. And the guy's disappointed. The guy is discouraged. He's not where he thought he would be. You see, this man thought he would be immediate, just like it was for the other two guys. We heard about them. We knew what you did for them. Why won't you do it for me? And now he's looking up, and he's not 20-20 like the other guys are, and he's just thinking to himself, I'll never be able to change. I'll always be blind. How many of us have been there? You're struggling with sin. You wish you knew the Bible more. You wish you could put that Bible verse into your life. You just wish there was a pill that you can take. You wake up sanctified. You could just see everything, and you're just completely clear spiritually, and you don't have any guilt or shame, and it's like, yes, I'm walking in the light of God. How many of us have ever been there? Raise your hand. How many of us have ever been there? How many of us are beginning to see us in this blind man's story? But I want you to see what Jesus did. You can live in that discouragement, but look what Jesus did. Jesus grabbed his face and made him look up. This guy did one right thing when heaven spit on him. He stuck with Jesus. He stuck with Jesus. He trusted the person through the process. And Jesus grabbed this man's faith He grabbed this man's face, and he made him look up. Gang, let me tell you something. Jesus knows our weakness. He knows our weakness. It's him. It's him that will be strong for us in our weaknesses. He actually says, my grace is sufficient for you. I'll be strong in your weakness. Jesus knows we can't do it. That's why he gave us his Holy Spirit to flow through us. That's why he says in our humanity, cast all your cares upon me because I care for you. 
And in your discouragement of faith, would you stick with Jesus? Because what he's going to do, though you may feel spit on by heaven, he's going to grab your face and gently point your gaze towards heaven. Because the psalmist tells us, the Holy Spirit tells us, that Jesus is the lifter of our heads. Psalm chapter 3, verse 3, the Bible says, But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory, and the one who lifts my head. Do you remember? Thou, O Lord. Oh, do you guys don't know that song? This church existed in the 80s? Come on. Do you remember the 80s was the, the period of the rounds? Thou, O Lord, thou, O Lord, are a shield. You don't know it. Okay. The song goes, you're, you know it, Lynn, don't you? Sorry. You're the lifter of my head. Would you allow Jesus just to touch you this morning and lift your head? Now, this is the second time that Jesus has touched him. I'm not surprised that Mark would point that out. Because Mark is the gospel of the second chance. Mark was given a second chance. And let me tell you something about Jesus. He don't give up on anyone on the first go around. And he's using this tangible miracle to express a spiritual truth to our disciples, to us. Jesus has not given up on you. He might be asking you what you see. And it may be blurry. And you may see some people that you wish you didn't see but he hasn't given up on you. He's not given up on you. Because though you are faithless, he will remain faithful. He can't deny himself. Though you may not be where you want to be spiritually, he will get you there. Stick with Jesus. He will always point your way to heaven. He knows how to minister to you, holy, spit, and all. Trust the person not the process. Look with me if we, as we finish up in Mark chapter 8, verse 25. I'll finish now that verse in the second portion. And he was restored and, everyone cl- and, and saw everyone clearly. Then he sent him away to his house saying, neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. I'm not allowing you to go to Bethsaida. I made it very clear I'm not doing any more miracles there. Don't go to Bethsaida. Go to your home. And obviously, it wasn't Bethsaida. This guy was restored. He saw everyone clearly. Because Jesus doesn't leave any of us half-cooked. He doesn't leave any of us incomplete. He doesn't leave any of us undone. Now, when I was, I, I don't know if you know this, but I teach my message to Pastor Zach before I teach you. And I said, I said to Pastor Zach, Jesus doesn't leave anyone half-baked. Pastor Zach said, you can't say that. He goes, that means that you are telling people to get high. And I go, no, it doesn't. I never said that. Half-cooked. He doesn't leave anything undone. He doesn't leave us incomplete. Because there's only one place that Jesus will rest in your life like he did at creation when he looks at his work and says, it's good. That's why when he sees his reflection in our lives in one area, he just goes to the next area of our life. And when he sees his reflection in that area of our life, he goes to the next area of our life. 
And when he sees our reflection in that area of our life, he goes to the next area of our life for our lifetime. Because until the goldsmith can see his reflection in the pot of gold that he's purifying, he will not stop turning up the heat till all the dross comes out of the gold. Jesus won't give up on you. That's a lot of hope. This man was restored. Something has happened in this man's life. When the Bible uses the word restored, that means he used to be able to see. Because when he saw the disciples, he said, I see men, so he knew what men looked like, walking like trees. So he knew what trees looked like. He knew the truth before, and something happened, a blind spot where he lost his way. This is hope for everyone sitting in this auditorium who have backslided. The devil's lies, you can't come back. The devil's lie is you call yourself a, a Christian. The truth of Scripture is that he will go into the cursed place and grab you by the hand and pull you out of that place. It's what our Jesus does. The Bible says that he always leaves the 99 to get the one. And it doesn't matter where you're at. He was restored. This is hope for the backslider. The Holy Spirit has changed this man's life. Now, you're a disciple watching all of this. You realize, okay, I've got some blind spots. And maybe this message for you is, honk! Maybe this message for you is, I want to get you back into the right spiritual lane. Because we all get stuck. I'm sure the disciples are watching all of this after their faith had just been challenged, after he just said, are you so dumb? That hurt. Felt like spit from heaven. And the disciples are watching all of this. And this guy is teaching them a lesson. I'm sticking with Jesus through this process. I'm not going anywhere. And it's a process. So it may take time, but I'm going to abide with Christ. I'm going to stick with him because he can get me there. Let me tell you why. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Stick with Jesus. Church, if you've backslided, you're sitting here today, you backslided due to some blind spots. Jesus is honking. He's come to that cursed place. He's grabbing you by the hand and he's pulling you out. And let me tell you something when Jesus touches you. It'll be evident that the fingerprint of God is on you. Your life will radically change. The disciples got it. So can you. Amen. 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 Terry Clark used to sing a song, I am that blind man. Who needed a honk from Jesus this morning? Would you pray with me? Our Father, we do come before you in Jesus' name overwhelmed by the great grace of God. That in the darkest of places you come 
you reach in, grab our hand, and pull us out. We worship you. Would you just worship the Lord in your heart? His unbelievable grace. And now would you be maybe an extension of God's grace? And maybe there's someone in your life who's in a dark place. Be like Jesus. Show them the same grace. Try to forgive them. Love on them. Show them the same grace that Jesus has had for you. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.